Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Larson, executive editor of Power Magazine, and you're listening to the Power Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jason Waller. He's the founder and CEO of Power Home Solar, which is a leading provider of solar panel installation and energy efficiency services operating across 15 states. So, Jason, thank you so much for joining me, and, and just tell a little bit about your background and, and the company, Power Home Solar. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me. Super excited. Um, you know, company was founded in 2000. 14, we started, we opened the doors and started hiring people and, and, you know, pushing solar out to the customers in 2015. And, you know, since then we've, like you mentioned, we've expanded to 15 states. We've got close to 2,400 employees, over 30,000 customers. And, you know, we're super excited about the movement that we're a part of. We've also installed solar on five NFL stadiums one major league baseball stadium and a college campus. And so we've done a lot with the military makeover. We're excited where solar and renewable energy are going. Um, like I mentioned, this movement, we think the solar energy is a huge movement for the future. We don't have enough energy as it is, so we got to get it somewhere. And so we're empowering customers to really own their power, not rent their power. And that's kind of our slogan. You seem to have grown quite significantly over this five or six year period. So I guess I'd like to have you talk about what's changed in the industry. How have things evolved over that time period? Well, I think, you know, the, the first few years I got into the business, there was a lot of utility scale solar going on. A lot of these big companies like the Amazons and the Microsofts that were building these huge solar farms and going into states and they were utilizing state incentives and federal incentives to do that but they were only doing it as a tax shelter and as a profit center, right? So they would, they weren't adding jobs. They would subcontract, put them in and have a power purchase agreement with the utility companies. And it's great because we're getting more energy, their little power plants for the utility companies, but it really exposed the tax incentives the wrong way, right? So instead of Amazon paying $10 million in taxes, they go build a $10 million solar farm back then in 15 and 16, they get a 30% tax credit and then in certain states like North Carolina, they get a 35% tax credit. So they're getting six and a half million back up front. And then they sign a power purchase agreement. They're profitable in four years making money rather than just paying taxes. So because of that, it kind of gave solar, in my opinion, a bad taste. It became more political when it's really not. You know, it's not Republican or Democratic. It's really it's, it's American. It's free enterprise. And so it's evolved to really rooftop solar. Now, you still have the utility scale solar. And you still have the solar plants. And I, I'm not opposed to companies like Microsoft and Amazon making money and doing that. But what it did is it, is it gave the industry a bad name because it looked like it was manipulated. And it really it wasn't. That was there. The goal is now is how do we get more homeowners to own their energy? You know, we sit down with customers. We ask them, what's the longest bill in your house? They usually say, it's my mortgage. It's not your mortgage. It's your power bill. It goes up all the time, and it never ends. And so we find a way to finance their solar to give them a fixed cost per month to produce energy, reduce some of that electricity bill, and have an end date to own that power. And that's kind of what we do. And so that evolves over time to battery and storage. We're huge advocates of battery and storage. We're at 98% attachment rate for battery storage. So if we install 1,000 customers this month, we're going to install 980 batteries. And that's unheard of. And that's because it's our belief that every customer deserves battery storage. If you've got solar, that's great. You can reduce some savings. You can save, you know, save some money. You're making power great. But if you've got battery and storage, now 
you have a way to keep the lights on if the power goes out. We all know the power goes out a lot. Mm-hmm. You also have a way to utilize that for a thing called time of use. You know, the utility companies like to, you know, they're, 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 they're a profitable company. They want to make money. So they'll be like, hey, we're going to change the, what power costs and peak times from five to five. You're going to pay more. Well, now if you've got battery and storage, you can control when you're going to utilize that and not buy power from times. And then the other thing with EV coming out, all these electric vehicles, how are we going to get this energy? And what do we think the utility companies are going to do when everybody's charging their cars? They're going to charge you more. So we find a way to use the battery and storage, and we use Generac, which we love very much, got a great partnership with them, to utilize that to store the energy for the consumer to use to charge their vehicles. And we think that's the future. Not everybody can get solar in storage, and there's other ways to do it, microgrids, community solar, what have you, right? But the ones that can, we give them that opportunity, whether it be rooftop or ground mount in their yard. We just try to really educate the consumer of how this works, what's going on. The light bulb goes off, and they go, yep, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's incredible that, that you have a 98% uh, energy storage being combined with this solar. I think that's that's phenomenal, and, and it, it really does provide a lot of extra benefits, not just for the customer, but for the grid, too. I mean, uh, that's a, a huge amount of storage that's out there available for the grid eventually to use it when it's needed. From what I understand, you're based in North Carolina, which, you know, many of our listeners may not realize, North Carolina, I believe, is the second largest uh, solar state in the uh, U.S., only behind California, which has an unbelievable amount of solar. You're operating in 15 other states as well and probably growing into more. Where do you see the biggest benefits or, or the states that have the most incentives to get these solar panels installed in, in, their, um, in their grids? Well, look, that's a great question. The the incentives, we don't chase the incentives. A lot of our competitors will be like, oh, you know, Illinois has got this great, you know, state incentive or, you know, uh, utility incentive. And it's a lot of them, of my competitors do what we call leases or PPAs, which is where they go in and they say, you know, hey, you're paying 14 cents for power. We'll get you solar for 13 cents. Sign up 10-year term, right? We'll service everything. Well, there's no ownership there. They just save a little money. What does that do? I mean, you could save a little money choosing not to drive somewhere on Saturday. Like, that's not what consumers want in today's world. They want that. They want to future-proof their home in that peace of mind. And that's why a lot of my competitors don't have the battery storage because it costs them money because they're selling them power. They're not trying to sell them storage. Our motto is a little different with the financing, them owning it, so the incentives are for them, not us. So we don't look at a state like California. It's got all kinds of great incentives. That's fantastic. But you've got everybody and their third cousin running a solar company out there, which isn't really good for business because then you get Chuck pulling up in a van with no windows and Steve and Mike mm-hmm. putting it on and they're not licensed and they're subcon- subcontractors. You get a lot of that in states where you have a lot of incentives, unfortunately. And then it kind of like dilutes it, makes people get the wrong image of solar. That's my opinion. In states like North Carolina, the reason they have so much solar is what I mentioned earlier, is the utility-scale solar. Because of these huge solar farms that were built on a lot of the farmland in North Carolina from these giant corporations or investment companies that were doing it. That's where all their solar is. When it comes to rooftop solar, they're very low penetrated, right? It's like California, New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, you know, Texas, Florida. Those are like the top states, Arizona. But total solar. Uh, North Carolina has a ton because of the utility scale. When it comes to rooftop, uh, it's separated. And I see the growth going almost anywhere in USA. That as people start to understand how solar works, 
they start to get and they go, oh, that makes sense. This is the right thing to do. Not only, you know, because it feels good and it's green and it's clean energy, but you know what? Long term, I'm going to save some money and I can future-proof my home and not have that fear factor of the power going out or dealing with the utility company and the nonsense. And so that, you know, when you sell value rather than savings, you know, a customer can get excited about value. It's not just about saving. So we don't sell solar to save people money. We sell solar because we want them to invest in themselves, their home, their future, and their energy, right? And so it's just a mindset that we go on. And I think the states, like people don't know this, but Michigan's our largest state. You know, we're in Michigan. People like Michigan, it's gray. Like why solar there? Well, the cost of power is so high in Michigan. It's like 17 cents a watt. That's like number four in the country, right? And the production that the PV that is produced there is only 15% less than North Carolina, but the cost of power is 60% higher. So 60 minus 15 is 45%. So a customer in Michigan is getting 45% better return on their investment in solar than they do in North Carolina. Mm. And people don't realize that, that solar works in gray, it works in snow. It just doesn't work at night. That's why you have a battery in storage, but it still works in a gray day. That's why Connecticut, New York have a ton of solar, right? But it's because the cost of power. So the way this is done, it's, it's the science. Everyone thinks, oh, go to Arizona, it's a ton of sunshine. That's right, but their power is so cheap. So really, it's not as beneficial as someone where expensive power, because when you finance solar, you're getting that power for a lower price per watt than you are paying the utility company so high. That's that's the math formula. So the, the savings of financing it plus or minus the usage production of the PV is the formula. And states like Michigan flourish, right? Texas, kind of cheap power. Um, it's in the middle. Uh, Ohio's expensive power. We do well there. Indiana's expensive power. Illinois is kind of expensive. You know, we're going to expand into Florida soon, but it's really cheap power too. So the return's not as great. Tennessee power is kind of expensive. Georgia power is kind of expensive. So you just go into these other states and, and our mind is, look, if, if the power is really expensive, then there's a bigger return for the consumer because the sun shines everywhere pretty much. Even in these Midwestern states with snow, there's still enough production if the power cost is so high for it to be a benefit. And that's kind of the math and the science that we look at it. And I, I see all states really continuing to grow rooftop solar. You know, I, you're seeing a lot more companies go public with it. You're seeing a lot more loan and finance companies know that this is good paper to invest in because, you know, people are going to pay their mortgage and they're going to pay their power bill. Well, their power bills are solar bill. So they're going to pay that. And, you know, they want to pay that. They want to feel good about what they're doing. And so, you know, I, I see it continuing to grow rooftop. I see microgrids happening. I see community solar happening. Um, and I can elaborate on those two, two comings as well. But, you know, I, the states that I see us growing in are, are really almost all our states. But Texas is new for us. We're really expanding there. Uh, we're going to look at other states like Florida, Alabama, Arizona, you know, all that's in, in the future. But there's enough white space and enough customers that don't have solar in all of our states that we continue to grow in every state year over year. Hmm. Can you kind of walk us through what a typical installation would look like? I mean, do you market and a person would call you up and say, hey, I'm interested in this adding solar to my rooftop? And then you do the financing and all of the background work to basically provide them a, a quote and come in, install it, and hook it up, and, and then it's theirs, but they're they're financing it through you? Or, or how does it work? 
Yeah, I think there's four aspects to the solar industry, right? When it comes to residential or rooftop or, you know, solar, right? Or even small commercial. There's the marketing and sales, right? So there's some companies that only do that. We, we do that. Then there's the back end that you've got to get the permitting. You've got to get the structural letter. You've got to get the interconnection form. You've got to get the HOA. All of the back end stuff that takes several weeks or a few months to get done before you can even put the job in. There's some companies that only do that. We do that as well. So now we do the marketing and sales and we do the back end. So, so far it's really easy. Then there's the installation side, right? So they pull the inventory, they come out, they do the whole install. Usually it takes a day or two. We schedule two days, try to finish some in one day and the installation, bring the inspector out, you know, get everything approved. The electricians, everybody's there, knock it out in two days, right? We do energy efficiency with it. So we do that part too, where some companies only do that or do a couple things. And then the fourth part is financing. And we internally don't finance it ourselves yet. We're working on that. But we utilize three or four other outside companies where it's seamless, where we sit down with you and on app, you're able to get instant approval, see your payment terms and approve it right there with the loan and be able to move forward. And so we're able to do all of these internally. And during this process, if we sign you up, people are like, all right, sign me up, put me in tomorrow. Does it work like that, right? You know, I don't know what the exact average is across the country, but I know we're one of the fastest ones in the country and our average sale to install time is 45 days. Hmm. And we're one of the fastest in the country. And that's because we do it internally. Like we handle everything. We don't have to send out subcontractors, all of these folks that are involved are our employees. So it's a big deal. Uh, we're not sending somebody else out where, you know, we're calling them to call you like, no, it's our people and our trucks, our license, our everything, our electricians, they show up. But where the hangup is, where people get a little you know, fired up sometimes, is the utility company still has to give you a PTO, which is permission to operate. And they drag their butts a little bit. They really do, especially since COVID. They drag their tail as much as they can. I mean, it used to be two weeks after install, they could get it done. I see it up to almost two months sometimes, which is frustrating for a customer who has the panels on, but they can't do anything until the utility company stamps it out. And, you know, COVID has helped create some of those burdens for the utility companies, but it's also revenue they're losing. I mean, let's not get it twisted, right? Either they want to sell you power or they just want to have a meter fee on that. And so they're going to drag their feet a little bit. And that's what happens. It slows down the process to get um, the interconnections done so they can have the permission to operate. That is still rapid, though. I mean, if you think about it, you know, 45 days on your end, and, and even if the power company takes a month or two, people are getting their, their power quite quickly in, in my mind. In the end, like how long do most people finance these for? Is it like a 10-year term where at the end of 10 years they basically own this equipment? Or, or what's a standard or typical arrangement there? We're seeing a lot of 20 years out there is, is the average because you want to get that payment as low as possible, especially with the battery, hmm. um, and up to 25 years. And then some people say, well, that's long. Well, how long is your mortgage? 30 years. Okay. Well, it's less than your mortgage and you can sell it with the home. And so, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal. You could do 10 years. I mean, there's several loans out there. There's five years, there's 10 years, there's 20, there's 25, there's interest only. You could refi the home and buy it all in. A lot of people do that. Like they'll, they'll go with like the 20 year and then in two or three years, they'll refi the home. They'll have that, that, you know, uh, added value in their home so they can refi for a higher price. And then they pay off that and that's all in their mortgage now. Right. So that, that's a big play for consumers too. But the average is about 20 years is what we're seeing out there. 
I'm sure the solar panels probably cost a lot more back in 2015 than they are today, although there are some supply issues going on right now. How, how is that affecting you? Do, you? do you see any issues getting the materials you need to put these in? That's always a concern. I mean, we switched to American-made panels in 2017, which was a game-changer for us. And back then, they only had one or two manufacturers in the U.S. Now there's like 30. And so the cost was really high. We switched in 17 for American-made panels. The cost has gone down a little bit. We're told it's going to go up a little bit more in 2022, only because of some of the, the poly that they have to get from overseas in order to assemble the panels here in the U.S. So, you know, that price is going to go up a little bit. Um, I don't know how much for inventory wise, you know, we, we've been blessed and, and lucky. We have great relationships with our vendors and because we do so much that we haven't ran into that as of now, like we've been assured that we're covered till Q1 for right now on, you know, battery and storage and panels. And we're always staying ahead of the curve. So, you know, we're, we're working with them. We're giving the POs everything we can do to make sure that we don't do that. Now, a lot of companies are struggling with that because, you know, the items are scarce out there. And so, you know, they're securing orders and not getting that stuff, especially some of the smaller guys, which is unfortunate. But, yeah, we're not running into that issue. Another aspect of having a rooftop solar panel is is net metering. And I guess I'd like to ask you a little bit about net metering and, and what you see happening in different states. Well, that's another great question because, you know, when I first got in, I felt like everyone, it felt like everyone was net metering. And, you know, it they weren't, but it felt that way because it was the new thing and it was, hey, you make energy and you use what you what you make. And if you get extra, you send it on the grid and you get paid equally one for one from the utility company. And that makes sense. And, you know, some people and or some utility companies scratch their head and say, well, that really doesn't make sense. They're not making money. Well, they are making money. And here's how they make money even with net metering because they charge a meter fee. They're charging you to do anything, whether you send it on the grid, you don't. You have a meter fee because you're connected to solar. So they make profit there. The other way they make profit is they save about 13%. And let me explain how. So if a power company makes power, they have to make that energy. They send it to the substation. So it's going down the transmission to the grid. Then it's going from the substation to your home. And that is a long line to go. But if you have solar or your neighbor has solar, let's use your neighbor, has solar panels. Solar panels works like water means if you overproduce, it goes back to the grid and goes to your neighbor and the utility company could sell to your neighbor. So if you, if your neighbor overproduces, you know, that power, mod, that power cell can come over to your home that you're buying that watt of power from the utility company and you save them 13% from making it from the power plant to the substation to them. So it's 13% saved on transmission just by doing that. So net metering works. The utility companies make money. What has happened with some utility companies out there, especially in Michigan and Georgia and Tennessee, is they have lowered it to like a wholesale cost where they say, hey, Mr. Customer, I'm going to sell you power. This is an example for 15 cents a watt. And if you get solar, I'm going to buy it for seven and a half cents a watt. And I'm going to sell it to your neighbor for 18 cents a watt because they're buying renewable energy. And that just seems like highway robbery. And in my opinion, it really is like doesn't make sense why they do that. They're double dipping. Not only are they get the meter fee, not only are they saving 13% from the transmission going over to the neighbor's house because it flows like water, but they're also paying you half. And then they're charging a premium above normal power because you want to be part of the green energy plan. Like that's what's going on in a few of these utility companies. But other companies, I'll use Duke Power, they're in our, our, our home state, they kind of get it, right? And 
And, you know, I, we run into Duke Power with other issues sometimes that I'm not a big fan of, like the coal ash and stuff like that. But when it comes to solar, they understand it. They're one of the utility companies. They're like, look, net metering makes sense. We save money. We want to, they, they just extended the net metering. They, we save money. We're able to produce this power. We don't have to buy it from the market. We're able to do this. It's the right thing to do. So in my opinion, you, you saw Nevada, you saw Arizona flip the switch, say we're not going to do net metering. And then they turned around and flipped it back because, you know, everybody was against that and it was creating problems. Well, we still have Georgia, Tennessee, and Michigan that don't have net metering. I think in order for this to really work, you got to have net metering. Now, what we do in those states is we offer storage and battery and we shrink the system to where they'll never overproduce. So they're always filling up their battery and using it. They're never sending anything on the grid. Therefore, they're never selling power at wholesale. That's how we combat it against the utility company and to benefit the customer. But what's unfortunate is the customer can't get a larger system that they would want because the utility company is going to pay half for that. And it doesn't make financial sense to do that. Mm. And so that's how the utility companies can kind of slow down the growth of solar or renewable energy in their markets by not going net metering. And I think with the new administration and the way policies are starting to go and the, and how both sides of the aisle are liking solar. I've met with lobbyists and I can tell you, people don't know this. Over 60% of our customers are Republican. People are like, really? I'm like, yeah, we've done a whole survey and it, that's, that's what it is. But you get the politicians to talk about, oh, you know, I don't believe in climate change and I'm a Republican or, oh, you know, I love solar and it's climate change and I'm a Democrat, right? What up? You get all of this nonsense that makes it political and it's not political. It's American. It's free enterprise. And what we've seen is more Republicans come across and understand what solar is. It's the largest job growth the last two years in a row. They understand that it's energy independence and they get it. Now, the older Republicans that are still kind of, in, in, you know, their pockets are, are, are filled from the utility companies, they're, of course, anti-solar. But your younger Republicans understand that this isn't political, it's jobs. And your older Democrats understand that it's not political, it's for jobs. Some of your younger Democrats pick and choose when it's beneficial, when it's not, right? That's, that's what I've seen on a personal stance, going back and forth and dealing with lobbyists. And, the, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to talk to a roundtable with President Trump last September before the election. And I was sitting there and I was asking about solar and American-made panels. And he said he loved American-made solar, believed in solar, didn't like Chinese solar, and didn't like wind. But when he said that, he talked about it in, in the second debate, like, you know, he, he's all for solar and the jobs it creates. That's to show you how far we've come to try to make it less. But he asked me, he said, what's your ask? I said, to make this not political, because regardless if you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Solar adds jobs. It adds free enterprise. It adds energy independence. And it saves us from being without power because the energy company can't make enough. And so once we pull the political part out of it, and we focus on the good that does, I think you'll see some of these utility companies kind of get off their high horse and do what they need to do. It's a great point, and it does make sense. When, it, when, when you look at it from an economic standpoint rather than a political standpoint, that answers all your questions right there. So I think uh, you're on the right track. I guess I've got yeah. a couple of last questions here. One, one would be, what's your sales pitch to somebody who's been sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, I'm waiting for the price to come down, the price to come down. We keep hearing it's going to get lower and lower and lower. What's the reason that you would tell them, get in now, get these solar panels on your house and start saving money now rather than waiting for the cost to come down? 
Well, I would show them their power bill and I'd say, you can continue to pay the utility company and get nothing back. Or you can go ahead and start this now and start building equity into your home and have ownership of the energy. And your utility bill is not going to go down anytime soon. It only goes up. So the longer you wait, the more you're going to pay regardless. So you're either saving one way or another. If you're worried about pricing going down, well, the longer you wait, you're going to end up paying more for that utility company anyways. It doesn't make sense. So the time would be now. What do you see going forward? I mean, what does the future look like? Do you think everybody, every home will eventually have a solar panel on their rooftop? I don't know if every home will. You know, there's a thing called microgrids out there where you can build these solar farms. And then let's say you own a condo, but you don't have roof space, but you want energy, you want solar energy. You can buy into that grid, right? Or the community solar and be a part of that. And so that I see coming along. It's in certain states now and doing pretty well. I think that is a huge movement that that will be there for those that can't get it. And then I also think that, you know, people like, are the panels going to completely change? I don't believe they're going to change much. They really haven't. They get a little bit more efficient, but they're not going to shrink. You know, we've seen this whole, we're going to do these tiles that do solar. They're, the efficiency's not there. That's for aesthetics. It's not producing anything at all, really. So I don't see the panels changing. They get a little bit more slick. They look more like glass. They're pretty cool looking now than what they used to look like. But I don't see that changing. I see the battery and storage continuing to evolve. I see things like that to where, you know, the utility companies will start buying power from microgrids of little zip codes of people that store energy, and they're going to put in profit agreements with consumers. This is what, you know, some of the utility companies are talking about. We've been looking at pilots with where they'll actually buy power from them X amount of days a year and pay a premium and give them a fee every year for that rather than them buy it, you know, on the market. And so now you're going to have consumers that are like, wow, not only am I never left in the dark and I have ownership in this and it's going to be an end date where this energy is free to me when I'm paid off. But now the utility company is paying me an annual fee and rights to buy this at a premium where I'm making money. It's a profit center. So you're going to see a lot of that going on uh, as we evolve. And then, you know, I think uh, with the community solar, you're going to see – I believe this reminds me of the landline cell phone industry. And I was in, I was in the cell phone industry and I remember working at Verizon wireless slash Bell Atlantic in 2001. And I remember, you know, maybe phones were penetrated 35%. And I remember sitting down with people looking at you have a Blackberry and I'm like, this is the future. And they're like, no way I've got a landline and frame relay and point to point and fax lines. And I'm like, no, you're going to be using this. Nope, nope, nope. Right. And, it was because I was taught from Bell Atlantic Verizon Wireless, like, look, this is the future. Solar and wind and all of this renewable energy is the future. You may not get it on your home, but these utility companies understand that this is an easier, more cost-effective, cleaner way to produce energy. So my vision is that sooner than later, you're going to have a lot more of these larger hydro, wind, and solar farms that the utility companies own where they can get their pockets involved. And that they're just moving energy and they're not making power anymore. They're, they're just a distributor of power back and forth between people and charging feeds. I see that coming. I just, I do. I don't know when, but I, I can see a lot of our power plants in the future shutting down to where utility companies are just distributors and you pay to move your energy across and that they're going to have a lot of ownership in their own. And it's just going to be more renewable energy and, and a clean way to produce power. That's what I see happening. So whether you can get it on your home, or you can't, I believe everyone's going to be a part of it anyways. Well, you've taken care of most of my questions. Is there any last words you want to leave the audience with? You know, I, I think, you know, we're always looking to add people to our team. 
you know, if you go to powerhome.com forward slash careers, we're always looking to hire people. You know, we went from the pandemic, we went from 800 employees now to 2,400. We're always looking for people to be part of this industry. And uh, also you can check out my True Underdog podcast. It's a top three entrepreneur podcast. So definitely check it out. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Jason, for coming on the show. And uh, I hope you get expanded down to Florida quickly because that's where I'm located. And I think uh, putting some solar panels on my roof would be a great option. So thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. Have a great day.